Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's so good to see my church family here this morning. We're just so happy you're here. I would like for you to stand and join us. We are going to sing about this glorious day that God has given us. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I met you I was breathing but not alive all my failures I tried to hide It was my doom Till I met you You called my name And I ran out that grave I don't Proverbs 18.10 tells us, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, the righteous run to it and are protected. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. And Father, we thank you that you, you are our strong tower, that we can come to you for refuge and for strength. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. 
Good to see you together today as we're here to worship the Lord, and we're here to do that together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card this morning. If you're watching online, we ask that you do the same so we can keep in contact with you. And we're just here to lift up Jesus together and glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. At this time, the praise band is going to continue to lead us in song. John 3.16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen to that. Thank you. 
what we stand against. Oh Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Jeremiah 32, 17.
mention the snorting I've been hearing, but <laughs> well, we began this new series last week. When we began it, I talked about how one of the things I liked about James is how practical and straightforward his teachings are. And the great thing about the book of James is you don't have to need a, you don't need a bunch of commentaries. You don't need a bunch of people telling you what it means. I mean, he just lays it right out there. It's so simple, so easy to understand. Last week, when we began this series of five messages, we, we, we talked about the practical aspect of living the message. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It's one thing to come to church, to pray, and to do all these other things. But it's a quite another thing to live out that message. And sometimes, <clears throat> as we spend time with Jesus, excuse me, as we spend time in the book of James, we're going to be examining how we can live that faith out. And this message kind of dovetails into that one from last week. One of the things that we... Jailbreak. One of the things that we tend to do in life is we, we tend to overlook the weaknesses we have in our faith. Um, particularly when that area of weakness is a societal norm. In other words, if something's acceptable in society and we struggle with doing it, we tend to just kind of overlook it because we feel like, well, it's not hurting anything. Have you ever noticed inconsistencies in your faith that you just don't give much thought to, you think, well, it's really no big deal. Nobody sees it. Nobody can tell it's happening. So therefore, I'm just going to kind of brush it under the carpet. I mean, we tend to understand that we're not supposed to be murdering people and stealing and commit adultery and these things. But there's other things that are going on in our life many times that we just kind of just brush under the carpet. They're more subtle. We think that because they're subtle that they don't really have an impact on us but they really do. On the surface, they don't seem to cause much harm, but and those are the ones that we usually just don't really think about. Now, James, of all people, of all the biblical writers, sometimes people accuse Paul, people will take some things they don't like about what Paul teaches and says, well, he's writing about hypotheticals. You can't say that about James. Of all the biblical writers, James would not be sitting back thinking, let me think about some hypothetical situations that could possibly happen in the church, and I'm going to write about them. No, he takes things head on. He goes straight at issues that he's dealing with. And, the, and so what's going to happen today is we're going to look at a subject that for some it's not, it's, well, for most of us, it's not a comfortable subject to deal with. And James is going to bring this subject into, into our focus today because it's something that's important. Even though on the surface, it may not seem to deal, affect much. It really does. It's very insidious. It's really rooted down deep, and it can affect our faith. This is one of the ways that we can live out our lives by dealing with this subject matter. The subject is prejudice. And honestly, prejudice is nothing new. It's happened not too long after the fall, as long as we've been on this planet. And honestly, you would think of all people, Christians, this wouldn't be an issue for us. But honestly, it is. Throughout history, the issue that we're covering today has existed in various forms, <clears throat> from favoritism within the family, um, 
like in the case of Joseph, man, Joseph's brothers hated him, to things like Jacob and Esau, and other things like just flat-out racial discrimination and discrimination based on, on economic issues. It's always, it's, always, it's always been there. And by the way, racism wasn't invented in America. It's been around forever. And a lot of times people want to make it seem like America's the only racist country on the planet. Well, there's racism here, don't get me wrong, but we weren't the inventors of it. But my hope is over time we can stomp it out. And that starts with us each, each one of us individually not tolerating it. As incredible as it may sound, during the times early in our nation when slavery was a part of that, guess what was happening? Christians were involved in it. They were rationalizing it. Even when I became a Christian in the, in the early 80s, mid-80s, I came across Christians who would, who would justify the issue of like interracial marriage. And they say, well, that's not biblical. And I'm, I'm like, where do you get that from? And then they go back and pull passages where God said not to intermarry with the other religions, nothing to do with race. And they would use that as a justification for trying to say, well, you know, you can't mix the races. Baloney, it was a religious issue. And it amazes me, as I look back on it, that Christians would actually take a position that would say prejudice and racism are okay. And we're going to see today why that's not. Now, the dictionary defines prejudice as an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason. Now, think about that for a minute. Prejudice is basically forming an opinion before you know anything about something. And how many times have people said, oh, I don't like this particular people group, and they know nothing about them? They've never been around anybody in that people group. They just don't like them. They've formed an opinion out of ignorance. Biblically, the word has the same flavor. It would include showing favoritism, which means treating people, one person better than another, or giving preferential treatment to one group over another at the expense of the other group. The big idea to the message this morning is this, that true faith or true religion does not show prejudice toward other people. We're going to be in James chapter 2, and we'll begin in verses 1 through 4, as we, we're going to see three reasons why for those who call themselves by the name Christian, prejudice cannot be a part of your life in any form in any way. So let's go back, let's go into our passage and start in verse 1. It says this, My brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If someone comes into our assembly, into your assembly wearing a gold ring, fine clothing, and a poor person enters in filthy clothing, do you pay attention to the one who is finally dressed and say, sit here in a good place, which in church is usually the back row, by the way, or stand over there or sit on the floor? If so, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? So the first observation we'll see from these passages is this. Prejudice dishonors people. This is one of the reasons why prejudice is insidious, and it's something that we have to work on ridding ourselves of. James Dale dives right into the problem, but I like the way he says, hey, dear brothers and sisters, he'll do this a couple times, to try to say, hey, I'm going I'm, I'm to be on this, but, but I love you guys. James flat out tells us this. He says, if you possess faith in Jesus, we are not to show prejudice toward others. Now, some versions use the word favoritism. I think favoritism is just a little bit, little bit light for, this, for what this word means. The command not to be prejudiced is to be rooted in our faith in Jesus. In other words, because of my faith, I am not to be prejudiced toward other people. James appeals to that single fact, and that holds everything together. In other words, well, what right does James have to say this? The right is the fact that it's, it's the word of God. Our faith in Jesus is the one that says this can't be. We're told that we, if we possess faith, we must obey this command. The direct context of the passage now, James is speaking of brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's not just that. It's whoever we deal with. See, the church, early church, had struggles. They struggled with the Jews and the Gentile thing from the very beginning. Because the Jews thought, well... Jesus was Jewish, so therefore, and, and Christianity came out of Judaism, so therefore you need to be a Jew before you become a Christian. And honestly, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but they struggled with this. But they also struggled with the rich and the poor. The term prejudice or partiality comes from a Greek word, that the root word is face. And literally it means that prejudice or favoritism is judging others based on appearance. That is at face value, what you see. 
The Hebrew idiom basically means to lift up the face, that is to show favor to someone, that you look at them and you, you hold them above, above, above everybody else. Partiality or prejudice is judging the appearance instead of the heart. And that is directly contradictory to the heart of God. We see this happening a lot of times when, when David was anointed to be the next king. The prophet's out there saying, man, that guy looks good. Wow, he's tall. He's got it. Wow, this. And God says, knock it off. You're judging on man's view. I'm looking at the heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, to show this is nothing new, God has always been this way. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who is unbiased and takes no bribe, who justly treats the orphan and widow, and who loves resident foreigners, giving them food and clothing. Having faith in Jesus, we are called to do the same thing. Even Jesus talks about this somewhat when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and regain sight to the, uh, to the blind and set free those who are oppressed. But the early church was doing quite the opposite for a while. Jesus saw them giving, or James saw them giving preferential treatment to people that were wealthy, therefore being prejudiced toward the poor. Now, Many, one of the many reasons this is insidious is because it dishonors other people. It dishonors other people. Now, in context, I can understand a little bit of why they were doing it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it because in that, like in our society, we have, you know, from object pov abject poverty all the way to super wealthy and everything in between. In that society, you basically had the haves and have-nots. There was nothing in the middle. And so I can understand when somebody with some wealth and statue came, in, statue came into the church and people would say, wow, look at this, and they'd fawn all over them because they, they're thinking, wow, this person could be really helpful. It would almost be like if some, some famous movie star who's very wealthy walked through the front door, like a Tom Cruise or something, he ditched his Scientology garbage and decided he wanted to follow Jesus. And he comes into our church, and I mean, how many of us, particularly some of you ladies, wouldn't be like, wow, that's Tom Cruise. And we wouldn't be giving him special attention because, wow, you know, he, he's, got, he's, he's famous. And we'd be thinking, wow, you know, when he's making his Mission Impossible movies, he'd be tithing off that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, you know, we could do a lot of stuff. Or, you know, he's about ready to kill the bad guy. He can say, you know, you really need Jesus. Sorry, you know. And, hey, you ought to go to First Christian Church in Sierra Vista because you can meet Jesus. I mean, there's all kinds of things. So I kind of get the concept. But imagine being the person that walked in the door at the same time Tom Cruise walked through the door. How would you feel? Nobody said a word to you. Nobody, nobody did anything. Now, I'm thankful this church, we, we greet everybody. We, you know, as far as I know, we're very friendly to people. But imagine being that pe person that was overlooked. See, when we show prejudice, it dishonors other people. In Leviticus, back in the Old Testament, again, it says, you must not deal unjustly in judgment. You must neither show partiality to the poor nor honor the rich. Don't you wish our system was that way? You must judge your fellow citizen fairly. And so even when it comes to judgment, if, you, if there's prejudice it's going to affect the judgment. When we, we are not to judge or treat other people, when we, when we judge and not treat other people well, we're showing prejudice toward them and it dishonors them. Have you ever had people be prejudiced against you? I mean, I'll be straight honest with you. It's an uncomfortable subject. I'm a white dude. I have never walked down the street and had people cross the other side of the street, uh, unless I smelled bad. Um, I've never moved into a neighborhood and have people leave the neighborhood. I have never been, a, been pulled over by the police because I'm in the wrong car in the wrong neighborhood. I haven't experienced that stuff. But some of you in here have. You know what it feels like. It is a horrible feeling to have people show prejudice against you, isn't it? And I've had some of that with the economic stuff when I was a kid. You know, I, got, I felt discriminated against because I wasn't one of the wealthy kids. But that's nothing compared to what some of you all have dealt with. And it's a horrible feeling. I know even to this day sometimes I have, to, I have to like, okay, I can't be angry, can't be angry. But it's difficult. Did you feel honored when you were being treated, when people were treating you with prejudice? Did you feel honored? No, you don't. It's not a good feeling. When we do this, we are guilty of judging others by the world's standards and not by God's. The phrase discrimination also implies a division so when it happens in the body of Christ, there's division that goes on. And it's not a good thing. It also divides your heart. Because on one part, you know, you know what, I'm not supposed to do this. The other part, you're doing it. And it, and it divides you. 
See, favoritism during Jesus' day or discrimination, prejudice, was very common in his time. Remember, even the disciples, hey, who's going to stand on your left and who's going to stand on your right? Back in Mark chapter 10. And the, and the Pharisees, man, everybody wanted to be like the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were horrible people when it came to dealing with people. Imagine being one of the people that got looked overlooked and, and not dealt with because you were being treated poorly. In James chapter 2 and verse 6, which we'll cover in a bit, but I want to read it now, it says, But you have dishonored the poor. Are not the rich opposing you and dragging you into courts? See, we are not to dishonor people because God doesn't. Jesus died for that person that you're treating with, preju with, with prejudice. Do you know that? No matter what color their skin, no matter where their nationality is, Jesus died for them. And so I'm going to form a negative opinion out of ignorance towards somebody. What is that going to do? That puts me in the position where I am dishonoring that person. Who did Jesus hang out with? Sinners. Tax, I love lumping tax collectors in. That's funny, especially if you work for the IRS. But um, they lumped them in. You, he did that. Jesus hung out with people that nobody else would because those religious leaders treated them with prejudice and said, you're a sinner. You're a tax collector. You're a Gentile. Jesus even went into Samaria teaching people stuff. And Jews didn't want to, they would, they would take five days longer to go on a trip just to not step foot in Samaria. But Jesus would go to them. Did Jesus dishonor people in his dealings with them? No, he didn't. Did he go to the woman of the well and say, well, you're a piece of garbage. I'm not talking to you. You're not the right race. See, when we do things like that, we're dishonoring people. Let's look to verse 5 through 9. And here I like this again, a little sugarcoating in the beginning. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Are not the rich oppressing you and dragging you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the good name of the one you belong to? But if you fulfill the royal law as expressed in the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show prejudice, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. So the second reason that prejudice is so insidious is the fact that it dishonors God. When we show prejudice toward people, we are dishonoring God. Now, if you pay close attention to the first point, this dovetails right in. See, the early church, as I said, had so many poor people. When somebody of wealth would come in, it would be so easy not to give them special attention because of the, honestly, of the notoriety it could bring and the, and the, and the personal benefits for the church. But that's judging people by, by the world standards. Now, just so you know, as a side note, one of the reasons I stay out of the tithing stuff with people is I don't want to be one of those preachers that treats you preferentially because of what you give or don't give. So I just stay out of that. I don't want that temptation. See, the world embraces wealth, fame, good looks, and short stature. That's what, they, that's what they love. You know, all the ladies love short guys, you know. I hate tall people that are good looking. It's just not fair. It's, a, it's, it's terrible. There we go. You can be tall and ugly and it's good, okay? But no, I'm just kidding. That's my prejudice. I need to work on that, praise the Lord. Um, but what the world does is they look at the external, but that's not what God does. See, in Galatians 3.28, we're told that we're all one in Christ. Whether you're short, tall, whatever, it doesn't matter. We have wrong intentions when we show prejudice or preference to the people who are going to reach for the gospel. If we have a group we're prejudiced against, and look, I know some of you have, have gone to battle. You've been in wars. You've been, on the, you've been on the front lines fighting against certain countries. I can't imagine how hard... My, my father-in-law was, was, in, was in Korea, and I think he had a hard time with that for a while. had a hard time with that, and I can get that. But the thing is, as a Christian, even if you were on the front lines fighting against a people group, you can't, have, you can't be prejudiced against those people, as hard as it is. Because you're not fighting the people in front of you. That's, that, that was in the past. Because we dishonor people, but we're dishonoring God. We need to see people as Jesus saw them. And once again, who did Jesus reach? Everyone. He tried to reach everyone. The tax collectors, the sinners, the people that society said, you don't want to get around. I mean, he went to the lepers and touched them. You don't do that stuff. And imagine being a leper where, when, when you'd have to walk down the street, okay, as a leper, you'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean, so people would get out of your way. 
Now, that would be great at Walmart, just a saying. But anyway, they, they didn't have Walmart or the, or the, or the DMV that evening. Unclean! Okay, I'm going next. Uh, but I mean, what a horrible way to exist. What a horrible way to exist. We have to treat people with equal love and equal, and equal attention. If you have a family and there's preferential treatment in the family, it causes all kinds of trouble. Now, I had a little mini rider with me uh, yesterday on, on the path, and I told the, the little mini rider, you know, as the daughter, you're going to be the favorite, so just know that right up front. But anyway, when you show this preferential treatment within the family, Jacob and Esau, Joseph, man, his brothers hated that boy because dad favored him so much. Well, maybe if they weren't such jerks, say he would have liked them more anyway, but, but it causes problems. When we show prejudice, it not only hurts ourselves because we become judges with evil motives, and that's something we don't want, but it dishonors God because what we're doing is we're saying, God, that person doesn't deserve to hear the gospel. That person doesn't deserve heaven. I am making a judgment on who gets to go to heaven, and we're taking the place of God, and we can't do that. Jesus' followers, were, the original followers, were very ordinary people. But they were people who were locked into their economic position in life. It was almost like a caste system. But Jesus' message to them was, hey, there's more to this life than what you're seeing here. And so he had that message that he reached to everybody to try to bring them to him. He told them they'd have a great reward waiting for them in heaven when they followed him and loved him the way he loved, loved other people the way he did. Sometimes we forget what's important. We are called to treat everyone equally because we don't want to dishonor God. We don't want to determine if, we don't want to discriminate on who we take the message of salvation to. We don't want to determine how others get treated in the body of Christ. Verse 6 says that, hey, you're dishonoring those people. It also says that you're honoring in that context those who are oppressing you. Because as much like today, if you have wealth and you go into the court system, you're going to defeat those who don't have it. And that's the point he was making in that passage. He says, hey, these people that you're lifting up on a pedestal, you get them in the court, they're going to wipe you up because they have advantages you don't have. And some people would rationalize their treatment by saying, well, they were fulfilling the royal law of loving your neighbors yourself. But the problem is they made that definition very narrow. Say, well, these rich people are my neighbor. But see, we're supposed to love everybody. The neighbor, as, as Jesus talks about that, is a lot more than just the people right in front of your face. James says it in plain language. If I am prejudiced toward people, I am committing sin, and I am dishonoring God. The early church, remember when the church just formed after Jesus ascended? Jesus said to go all, to all the world, all the world. What did they do? They said, no, we're not doing that. We're staying in Jerusalem. We like it here. And so what ended up happening, instead of taking the gospel to all parts of the world, they kept it in Jerusalem. Well, until something happened, the stoning of Stephen. And once that happened and the persecution came, the church says, you know, we probably ought to do what God said. And they started taking the message. But then even later in the book of Acts, it took, you know, Paul and then later Peter in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 to take the gospel to all nations because they didn't want to take it to the Gentiles. And then when they took it to the Gentiles, many of them were saying, hey, you need to be a Jew first. Now, in fairness, a lot of times we read about these Judaizers and stuff, and people say, well, they had evil intentions. I'm not so sure that's always the case. I think some of them legitimately thought that because they were God's chosen people initially, and they were, they were Jews, and they were Christians, that everybody else had to go that same route. Now, some of them, I think, had some, some nefarious motives, but I think a lot of them really felt that way. But it was ignorance. It wasn't ra they weren't trying to be terrible people. But when we show prejudice toward people, we are dishonoring God. Because that person you're showing prejudice to, I don't care if they're black, white, purple, green, whatever. Uh, if you're Star Trek, you know about the green people. But anyway, Kirk dated them all. <laughs> but anyway, uh, God created them. God create that person that you're disrespecting. And that dishonors God. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. For the one who obeys the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said... Do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but you commit murder, you become a violator of the law. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom. For judgment is merciless for the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. The third reason that we do not want to be prejudiced toward others is that prejudice dishonors you. 
Now, James, he pulls out some Old Testament on the folks. And some people will read that and say, look, James is being a legalist. He's still trying to get people to live by the law. He's really not. What he's doing is he's doing this thing called an argument from greater or from lesser to greater. The lesser is the Old Testament law. The greater is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying, he says, hey, guys, you know that when you follow God's law, the Old Testament law, if you break one piece of that law, you've broken it all. And so this is the point he's trying to make. So the lesser says you break one point, you break it all. Now he's going to the greater, which is the gospel, and saying, listen, you guys are struggling with this prejudice. In that context, it was rich and poor, but it could be anything. And you don't think it's a big deal. You're breaking God's law. So therefore, you're breaking all of God's law because your heart is a mess. One violation in the Old Testament made you guilty for life. And he says, we follow something with a higher standard. The gospel is a much higher standard. It goes to the heart of things. And if I've got prejudice in my heart, it will poison everything else that I do. That thing that nobody else maybe sees, maybe it slips out occasionally in a joke that shouldn't be said or in, in you know, doing things I shouldn't be doing, it poisons everything. And it dishonors me. See, he goes on to say, he says, listen, he said, the one who's merciless in their judgment, that's how you're going to be judged. Matthew, in a passage that everybody who has breathed on this planet knows part of, says, do not be judged so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged. And by the measure you use, it will, will be the measure you receive. Now, most everybody knows verse 1. How many of you have ever had somebody throw that up on you? I have. Don't you, you, Bible says don't judge. Where'd you read that? I don't know. I just heard it was in there. Um, but what they forget is they don't read verse 2. What does verse 2 say? By the standards you judge, implying that you will, you'll be judged. The measure you use will be measured against you. And then just a few verses later in that same chapter, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, how are you going to know you're doing that if you're not making an evaluation or a judgment? But what he's telling you is when you're making these judgments, you use God's standard. You, you use mercy. Listen, when you stand before God, do you want to be judged harshly? Do you want God to look at the letter of the law and say, you broke it, you're done? Now, we have God's grace. We understand that. But do you want other people judging you mercilessly? Just the first time you make a mistake or when you say something, they take it to the worst possible place. Do you want that? See, if you don't want that, don't give that. Because James says, by the way, if that's your standard, that's what's going to be used against you. That's scary. I hope God catches me on a good day. <laughs> and the other thing, he talks about this law of freedom. The gospel frees us from prejudice. We don't have to be that way because we have freedom in Christ. It frees people from having to fawn over the rich to gain their influence. It frees us over having to be selfish. We can become selfless. It frees us from the, this having to be oppressive to people and it also frees us to enjoy tr the, the trials that we deal with, that we can have joy through them. It frees one to love those who are unlovable by the world's standards. Because believe me, there's a lot of people who are unlovable. I'm one of them. But the gospel frees you to still love. No matter what the world says you can love, you're not enslaved to what everybody else thinks about somebody. It frees us to love those who don't follow Christ even, who still love them. It frees us to keep from being in that constant competition and self-promotion that society lays upon us. The gospel is freedom. We're no longer enslaved. It just amazes me, it amazes me when I look particularly in our country when we had the issue of slavery. And even after that, with all the aftermath of that, I often wonder what would have happened if Lincoln had not been assassinated because I think that one event changed a lot of what's going on in this country. I really do. Because Andrew Johnson that followed him that dude was a piece of work. But anyway, it just amazes me that Christians, even to this day, there's Christians who can still be racist and prejudiced and think it's okay. When I was serving a church when, my, when Rachel was younger, I got into a discussion with a deacon. Okay, now this is going to be very, it's kind of raw, so give me some grace here. We got into this discussion. I don't remember the whole context, but he said, how would you feel if your daughter brought home, I'll be blunt, brought home a black man? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'd rather my daughter were, uh, marry a black Christian than a white heathen any day. And he just looked at me, didn't know what to say. 
And I meant it. I could care less what color a kid my, my daughter brings home. I don't really care. All I care about, do they love her? Do they love Jesus? Are they going to treat her? You can be purple. For, purple would be cool to bring a purple person home. That would be awesome. <laughs> Have, but, I mean, that stuff shouldn't matter. Why should it matter what color somebody is? Why should it matter? Why should it matter what nationality they are? I won't go there. It shouldn't matter. Yeah, I will. My daughter dated the guy on the Canadian national track team who is Chinese and, Afri and, and black. Interesting. Nice looking kid. She never brought him to my house though. I'm not sure why. But the thing is, those things shouldn't matter. When we are looking at somebody's skin color and making a judgment, we are sinning, period. We're sinning. Would you like to be lumped into a, together as a whole group? Nope. Not at all. Uh, Martin Luther King said that we should judge people by the content of their character, not by their skin color. No wiser words ever spoken. If we want to, if we want to dishonor God, ourselves, and other people, we'll be prejudiced. But if we don't, we won't. Favoritism seems trivial, or prejudice can seem trivial, but it's something that we need to guard against because it just seeps into the roots of who we are and it does all this negative stuff. When we have people, one thing, and to be honest with you, when I interviewed here in 2006 and got hired in time, one of the things I liked about this church is we, all, we weren't all white people. We reflected the community. We had people from Germany, from Korea, from, you know, uh, from all over the place here, and I loved it. It's great, because that's how it should be. We should be reaching people of all people groups in this community, and there should be no one off limits for no reason. And I love it when people come into this church. I just feel like that they're, they're very welcome. But with that being said, individually, we need to guard against this. We need to fight this. We don't want to be like the world in this. We want to love each other and treat each other just like, I almost say like family, maybe that's not good, but like, like God wants us to treat each other, no matter what. Our, our application point is this. Since we are all created in the image of God, we portray our faith in Jesus and our faith in God by showing partiality. So therefore, we need to find those areas that we're struggling in and root them out with prayer and with the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can do it. Because with Christ, we can do these things. This morning, we're going to have a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward to do it this morning. You know, I'm thankful that, that God isn't prejudiced against short guys because I wouldn't go to heaven or that God doesn't have, it's not prejudice toward people. And the other thing that I love is that, that everybody that he's created, he loves. Even the worst of us, he loves. And he wants you to be in his family. And the world will tell you different things about yourself that are not true because God doesn't see you that way. And so if you want to come into a family and come into eternal life with a God who created you and who loved you just exactly the way you are, you need Jesus. And the great thing about Jesus is he will take you and make you, make you a better version of who you are because you will become more of what you were created. You'll become what you were created for. This morning, if you have a decision for Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make, Christ, uh, like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling and need prayer, we'd love to have you come forward so we can pray with you. But this, at this time, if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing our song of decision. Um, before we start, I would like to say a uh, quick prayer to Daniel. Um, Father God, I just ask to put your healing hands on Daniel, Lord. Um, please heal him and speak out for him, Lord.
Please be seated. We take time to remember what our Lord did for us on the cross when he gave his life for us and he gave his life for all humanity so that we could have that opportunity for eternal life. Sometimes it's easy when we take the communion to kind of forget about the importance of it and the sacrifice that was given and the love that it shows. And when we think about God many times, it's really easy for us to forget how much he loves us. And when we take this communion each week, I believe it should rekindle within us an understanding of that love that he has. Imagine sending your son or daughter to die for somebody. That would, I, I don't know if I could do that. I'll do it myself before I'd let that happen. But that's how much God loves you that he put his son, allowed him to go on that cross so you could have eternal life. And we celebrate this time of communion. We're not celebrating a death. We're celebrating a burial, a resurrection. And the fact that one day we're going to be, doing, we're going to be able to take this with our, with, our, with our father in his house. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can have this time of remembrance and time of celebration. That as dreary as the thought of that cup representing the blood and that bread representing the body that was broken represents the joy of the result of it. It's something that should just bring a smile to our face and joy to our hearts. As we take our communion this morning, I pray that we take it with joy and gladness as we examine our hearts to grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. Jerry's uh, groups are all taking place today. Roger's Life Group is meeting. The LOL Group's meeting at Jules' house Saturday, uh, Tuesday at 6. Uh, no adult Bible study this week. We'll start that in August. Uh, we have a Singspiration going on next Sunday evening. It's a, a basically old gospel Singspiration. You're welcome to come. If you come, we ask that you bring, bring some sandwiches. Operation Christmas Child is, is taking donations of school supplies. And Stitches of Love is looking for participants to make sundresses and shorts for, for Operation Christmas Child. And we're still looking for empty rectangular Kleenex boxes that, that uh, Jan can use 
with the uh, kids in our children's church. Also, um, just as a, a long-term announcement, we, we do our off-road group, and we had a good time, although I didn't find enough mud. That was kind of a bummer. But um, we're going to go on Fort Huachuca in, in November. So to go on Fort, you need to have a uh, pass. So make sure if you're planning to go that, you start making plans to get a pass so that you can do that. It's, I believe the trails that we're gonna be up there is gonna be really rough, which is fun. So if you don't have a vehicle that can make the rough, you can ride with somebody like Andrew that does, or, or maybe with me. But anyway, uh, make sure that you um, get that taken care of before our November gathering. Um, I think that's all the announcements we have in the back of the bulletin. You have our prayer concerns that we've been lifting up and our praises. The spa ladies had a great time. Um, one other person I want family I want to add, some of you don't remember them because they were here a few years ago, the, uh, the Saltzmans. Uh, they had, Sean and Buffy had like, they had 12 biological kids. It's like incredible. I don't know how you have that many kids. But unfortunately, Buffy succumbed to cancer yesterday. So keep her, their family in their prayers. They were really, I mean, for the youth group, it made the youth group really big too because we had a lot of their own family. But just a wonderful family, and I know that Sean's going to be mourning the passing of his wife for quite some time, so keep them in your prayers. We have a lot of people with health concerns. We have special concerns. We have troops who are deployed. We're praying for our shut-ins. Also, we're lifting up op uh, Operation Christmas Child and all the missions that we support. So at this time, let's stand together. I will have a closing prayer, and our band will lead us out with a song this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, we leave so with joy in our hearts and a determination to love everyone as you've called us to love. Lord, I pray that as we live life, that we live out the gospel each and every day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.